Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. As Staten Island speed cameras continue to rack up millions of dollars in violations, plans to expand the program and lower the speed limit on the borough's longest roadway have been met with stiff opposition by local elected officials. Welcome to the Staten Island Advances from the Scene, a podcast bringing you an inside look at the biggest stories on Staten Island with the reporters who cover them. I'm your host, Eric Bascom, and this week I'm joined by Staten Island Advance and SILive.com senior opinions writer Tom Robleski to discuss all things speeding on Staten Island. Hey, Tom, thanks for joining us today. Oh, uh, thanks for the uh, invitation. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. You've done lots of commentary on this over the years. People are always very interested to hear what you have to say across that island on a number of issues. And on this one particularly, it seems like you have a lot of people agreeing with you, um, which isn't always the case. What's it like, though, being uh, primarily an opinions writer now? I know that you used to do, obviously, other stuff, cover politics, cover the whole borough. But now that you're really just honed in on the opinions beat, what is that like? Well, it, I, I wasn't sure that I could do it at first, and you, you do put yourself out there. I mean, in the same way that you guys do when you write something that's unpopular or you point something out. But when, it, when people say it's, it's you personally, then sometimes when they object to it, it's like they object to you as a person as well. So it, it, it's, it, it was a little bit of an adjustment. Yeah, I'm sure that can be a little difficult. I, I, you know, a couple of years back, I was also doing a, a transportation column uh, in addition to all my standard transportation reporting. And, you know, that gave me the ability to kind of opine on some of this stuff. And, and my opinions uh, don't always line up with some of what the Staten Islanders feel on some of these issues. And so lots of nasty emails. That was back when we actually still had the comment section on the website. So we'd see a lot of stuff in there. So it, it can definitely be difficult putting yourself out there a little more and, and you you know, putting your opinion behind these things instead of just trying to report on the facts. Yeah, well, I was once accosted and somebody said, you know, you're part of the problem. That's so that was <laughs> that was the fun. And also, I think there's some people out there, especially with the speeding issue, who think I agree wholeheartedly with them when and we'll get into this when I, I'm not as wholeheartedly against and I have my reasons. But it's interesting how people can read the stuff sometimes as well. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dig into these speed cameras. So start at the beginning, I suppose. The program began as a pilot back in 2014. They installed cameras in 140 zones across the city. There was really only a handful operating on Staten Island at the time, not nearly what we see now. Cameras could only operate during school activity hours and had to be placed within a quarter mile on a street that actually connected with the school. So back then, you know, I wasn't even at the paper yet, but obviously you were here, you've been here forever covering Staten Island. What were some of the initial reactions when the program was first announced? Well, I I think when we hear pilot program from government, we we kind of get the thought in the back of our minds that the pilot program is just a way to say, well, it's not permanent yet and it's going to be. I think, and this is not a Monday morning quarterback, this is a, you know, Sunday morning quarterbacking, we, we kind of always had the feeling that this would expand, that either you would expand the number of the cameras or you would expand where they were placed and what times they were operating. And I, I think that that has, you know, this is not the first place that Vision Zero was done in the United States or even other countries around the world. Same thing with congestion pricing. So you can look around and see, well, you know, they, you know, they started with X number of cameras during X number of days 
at X during times, and you can see that the program grows from that. And and my thing is always, I feel like there's always been a catch-22 with Vision Zero overall, where it's like, if Vision Zero works, then we need Vision Zero to keep working, and we're going to have more of it. If Vision Zero doesn't work, then we need more to make it work. So I think that's kind of where we're finding ourselves now when you've got a street, when you don't even have a school on the street, and you've got three or four speed cameras leading you, you know, along the way. Yeah, and, and we've definitely seen that big expansion like you were talking about. So in, in 2019, they approved a massive expansion through the state legislature, took effect in July of that year. It increased the amount of eligible school zones from 140 to 750. And with them allowed to put multiple cameras in each zone, it also, the plan now is to install over 2,000 cameras within those 750 zones, which makes us the largest speed camera network in the world, which is uh, something interesting there. But you know, on top of that, they also expanded the hours of operation. Now they could operate from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. on weekdays as opposed to just during the school activity hours. And now for the placement, and this was a big one for a lot of people, they changed it to still has to be within a quarter mile of the school, but it's a radial distance. So it doesn't necessarily have to be on a street that's connecting to that school. It can just be within the area, which some people can argue is that really concerned with keeping the school safe. So at that point, we really saw the opposition start to kick up here on Staten Island to this program. We've seen people out with with signs picketing against this with de Blasio's face on them. We see people making their own warning signs and putting them up on light posts. So when you first heard about the expansion being approved, what was your reaction? Were you surprised, frustrated? It seems like you kind of saw it coming. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, listen, I'm not an advocate for speeding as fast as you want to go down any street, residential street or any highway street, whatever. And you and I talked about this at the time when they changed the definition of a school zone, because at first she's like, well, you know, OK, so it's got to be on this street connected to the school. How many can they really put? And then they say, well, we just changed what the definition of a school zone is. And now it's sort of the, the bubble that we can put things in. And again, nothing that a city administration, the Blasio administration does kind of surprises you when it comes to traffic when it comes to motorists, I mean, and when Polly Trottenberg was the head of the DOT, I think we saw this, we saw this even more, you know, and I think people have gotten hip to the fact that it's, it's aimed at motorists. And again, I'm not saying people should be allowed to speed as fast as they want to go. But when you talk about the causes of collisions, the causes of injuries, speed is not the number one cause of collisions in the city on Staten Island in any borough. It's the distracted driving. Sometimes speed is like fifth on the list. So, I'm not, and I'm not saying don't address it, but I'm saying the overwhelming focus and attention that speeding gets as the cause of collisions, you know, the, the billboards, was it worth it and everything else, I think sort of gives you a skewed picture of what's really going on on the roads. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's something that is a little bit easier, perhaps, for them to enforce than if you're trying to enforce, say, distracted driving. Because, like you said, you've got the speed cameras up. They monitor you at a certain speed. You went that speed, you get a ticket. Mm-hmm. It's a little harder if who knows in the future, you know, you could end up in a place where there's cameras looking for you texting on your phone while you're driving past. But there's arguments to be made there. Either way, it would get a little messy. So right now, you're right. It seems that speeding is kind of the, the one that they've zeroed in on the most. 
And so one issue that a lot of people have argued, yourself included at points, is that the city speed camera program is is more concerned with generating revenue for the city than it is with actually improving safety around these school zones. And so a report that the DOT had released showed that from 2014 to 2019, the cameras had generated about $250 million uh, in fines. So they had $160 million in operating costs as well. So, But you still end up with a net revenue of $90 million there, which is a pretty good chunk change. So can you kind of walk us through that that thought process that, that so many people have, that this is really more about the city just getting money as, in any way they can, as opposed to making things safer around the schools? Well, I, I think it shows, and again, this is not a reason to give up on traffic enforcement. Speed cameras are not a deterrent. The more speed cameras you put out, the more people you're going to catch speeding. Some folks need to face the license plates. They try to figure out a way to beat the speed camera. So I, I think, and they think that the people, the Trottenbergs of the world, the de Blasios of the world, all these other folks, they understand driver psychology. They know that people are not going to slow down. They're going to take it as a price of doing business, or maybe they're not even going to pay the ticket if they get it. And I think that they are, I wouldn't say that they're only interested in making, in, in making revenue. I, I think the best experience has been that it's not doing as much for safety as it is doing for the city treasury, because we still have these fatalities out there. We still have increases in collisions, increases in injuries. So I think they're willing to take the money. I think they'll put more out there. And listen, and I've written this as well. Shame on you if you get caught by the speed camera. My thing is, if you really hate the speed cameras, and we know that there are advocates out there who really hate the speed cameras, they want to tear them down, they, they put the posters up, whatever. I'm like, starve them of the revenue and don't speed, especially on a residential block. I mean, near me on um, St. Paul's Avenue, there's two of them, like in rapid succession, supposedly to protect PS65, which is down here. And then as you get closer to the highway, there's, there's two more kind of near the gas stations that are right before you get to the highway overpass and Richmond Road. I'm like, you don't need to be speeding on those roads. Don't speed. And then you won't give them the money. Yeah, agreed. Especially with a lot of the navigation apps now will will tell you too when you're approaching a speed camera. I mean, it's not that you, not everybody's using Waze just to get around Staten Island. You're going around the block, you know where you're going. But if you have those apps running, I, I know a lot of people use them just so that they get the speed camera ahead notification and, you know, they look for that and then they slow down, which is kind of an issue in itself in that, you know, have people speeding around and then they see the speed cameras or know they're coming and then they slow down and then they go right back to speeding. Well, that's the question too. How much, how much could the city affect speeding in the city if they put a speed camera in a half a block before they put a sign up to warn people about it? If they really yeah. want it now, okay, so we'll play that side of the ball for a minute. If you really wanted people to slow down, you'd say speed camera 50 yards ahead or whatever it is, and right. people would slow down. And, and all this is not to say that I don't think that the city has done some diabolical things in terms of making money off the speed cameras. Having speed cameras operating 10 o'clock at night on an August night there's not near a school, is not protecting a school zone. The, the infamous speed camera that's off of the uh, South Avenue exit of the SIA, where you really have to slow to a crawl heading Jersey bound, there's no school child crossing that patch of road because there's nowhere for them to go. There's no mom or dad waiting on the other side of the road. There's no bus waiting there. So that to me is one of those egregious reasons that just says, okay, this one you're in it for the money. Same way with the, the one that's off of the Bell Parkway near Mark Twain. Same thing. You, you, you zoom in off the highway. It's like you're just catching people speeding. We know that. 
Yeah, and it's funny you say that if they really wanted to to slow people down, they'd put the sign up beforehand and let people know. They won't even tell us where they're installing them. I mean, for years I've been covering this, and and I'll ask the DOT, what new locations have there been on Staten Island, or can you confirm this location that someone reported? And they tell tell me that it's department policy not not to disclose the locations of these speed cameras, which doesn't really make any sense because then you can go and comb through the city's open data portal and and look for each location where they have given a speed camera violation, which is what I've done. I've done tons of articles on this stuff, highest ticketing areas, but it's just tedious and they're making it harder than it needs to be. They're, you know, they're not being transparent. They're not being forthcoming with this stuff. They're just like putting the cameras there, not telling anybody about it. And then, like you said, kind of just reaping a lot of, a lot of money off that. But they- no, Eric, it's just, a, it's just a different definition of transparency. Yeah. It, it's like, it's like they, they show you, it's like somewhere hidden in this house are the records that you're looking for. Look yeah. Behind the walls, yeah. look under the floors, and eventually, you know, you'll find it. Yeah, it's, it can be very frustrating. But so back to some of the data that the DOT has provided on this before. So they, they released the report on automated enforcement from 2014 to 2019. And like we said, a lot of people are like, oh, this is about money. This isn't really about, you know, making things safer. They put out some statistics that seem to show that it does actually help in the school zones. They said that in the year after installation of a speed camera, crashes decreased 14% at locations, injuries decreased 17%. They also say that it reduces the speeding in the area from when the camera is first installed to when people are aware of it. So they say from the first week that a camera is installed to the 18th week, which is a random number that they chose, that the number of violations issued by that camera go down 73%, which is a lot fewer people speeding, uh, but they're just getting privy to where it is. So that that's not hugely surprising to me. And then they also said from 2014 to 2019, that 59% of people who got a violation didn't get a second one. And that one seems a little surprising to me because you look at some of these Facebook groups of Staten Island speed cameras or whatever it might be, and you've got people racking up, you know, dozens of these things over and over again. Like you said, you're not really changing driver behavior that much with these, but this seems to indicate that in some cases you are. So it's interesting. They provide this data. They show that crashes are down, speeding are down, injuries are down. And so with that being said, do you see the value in these as a public safety tool at all, or, or are there other things that the city should be doing to try and slow people down? I would argue with the focus primarily on speeding. Again, like you, I don't want to live in the blue thunder world where they can look inside my car and see if, I'm, if I've got a cell phone on, and even just going past some type of detector that says, well, your, your cell phone was active, we're assuming you were looking at it. So I, I don't think you can, you can do that either. I, I think it's, it's just, it's the overwhelming focus on speed. And, and I, I've heard, I have, we have friends, I've, we have colleagues who I know who said, well, I've gotten five speeding, you know, speed camera tickets. And I'm like, that's on you, basically. Yeah. And I know that the ones that where I'm close to them, whatever, I'm going to make sure that I go slower. And yet we still have fatalities going up. We still have crashes going up. So I'm not sure if it's, if it's an incremental change, and I do know that, yes, if there's a collision at 30 miles an hour versus a collision at 45 miles an hour or 55 miles an hour, you could have less, you could have less damage. I think taking credit overall for things and also when we go to them with the revenue argument and they dismiss it totally and utterly, I think that's where they kind of lose you in the intellectual argument as well. And also, I know I've gone back and it's been a while since I've done this, looked at collisions and fatalities on Staten Island in the pre-Vision Zero era. 
And you can look at the number of injuries, numbers of deaths, and one year it goes up, and then they put more cops on the street, so the numbers went down before Vision Zero went really down, then went really back up, and then with Vision Zero went up and then went down. So I think it's kind of, there's sort of a, a range in which this is all going to happen. And are speed cameras helping? Maybe, but mm-hmm. I, I think that they're increasing the revenue more than they're actually making the streets all that much safer. So let's shift gears a little bit and move from speed cameras to speed limits. So Mayor de Blasio recently announced that the entire stretch of Highland Boulevard would be moving to a 30 mile per hour speed limit. Highland Boulevard in the last few years, even with Vision Zero, we've seen too many people hurt and we've seen lives lost. And it's clear you have to do something differently when you see that. So no, you cannot have a higher speed limit. In the end, lowering speed limits creates accountability and saves lives. And it's time, the, the facts point to it, it's time. So what was your initial reaction when you heard about this? Again, not surprise. Because there, if, if Vision Zero hasn't cured the problem, let's have more Vision Zero. If lower speed limits haven't caught, cured the problem, let's have lower speed limits. Now, anybody who drives on Highland Boulevard between Old Town Road and, what, Newdorp Lane, Guyon Avenue, any time between noon and 6 o'clock, good luck getting up to 40 miles an hour on that road for, any, for more than 10 seconds. It's south of that where the road widens, particularly south of Richmond Avenue when you can make up a little time. And listen, Mark and I, uh, we, we do our Facebook Live. We were down Highland Boulevard near Wolf's Pond Park the day or a day or so after this happened, following you know your reporting on this. And peop- there were people zooming down there, and, and I don't want to see that either, but I don't think you can treat the whole stretch of road the same way. And I don't think that 40 is necessarily all that dangerous a speed limit for that part of the road. And I don't think lowering it to 30 is on that part of the road is going to change anything. And again, then what do you do? Do you just throw up your hands? And I'm also waiting for the march of, you know, speed cameras to go up there, which I'm, I'm sure is coming given the Tottenville High School is right near there. Bernstein is near some of these southern reaches. The hospital is, is down a little bit further. So I'm not, I wasn't surprised to see them do that. Yeah. And, you know, I actually just went and drove the entire length of Highland Boulevard at 30 miles per hour, did not exceed it once. And the northernmost part, like you said, you're not really getting much faster than that anyway. There's so many traffic lights. There's so much pedestrian traffic. You know, there's so many storefronts. People are coming in and out of the driveways, all that kind of stuff. But once you do get past Tyson's Lane, even, and then you get to the 35, it starts to open up a little bit. I'm like, all right, I'm going a little slow here. I could probably pick it up. Then once you get down really further south near Wolf's Palm Park, near Mount Loretto, you get to this point where I did feel as though I was crawling up the roadway and every car that came behind me passed. And I don't blame them necessarily because it was at the point where it's a wide open road and I'm going a speed that felt slow at that point. But I think it's important to remember too that people are permitted by the speed cameras at least to go 10 miles per hour over before they get the violation. So if you're going, if the speed limit's going to be 30, I mean, you can go up to 40. That's probably about right there. With it being 40 now, that means you can go up to 50, which, you know, maybe that's a little too fast for a local road. I I can see the argument there. But if you're going to really try to have people adhere to a 30 mile per hour limit on the southernmost parts of Highland, it it definitely felt slow. It it feels a little ridiculous. And so it's strange. I I was actually maybe on one side going into that assignment, came out a little more in the middle than, than what I thought I might be. 
Well, I think at that, at that point, 30 miles an hour, you probably had bicyclists going faster than you on some of yeah. those, in some of those areas down there. And again, I said, I don't want people going at homicidal speeds on the roads. And again, yeah. you get the further south you get on Highland Boulevard, not going to be a lot of people crossing. And then it's tough enough to cross at, at you know, like that light at Mount Loretto. And you're trying to get across four lanes of traffic or whatever. It's, it's, it's tough enough as it is. And, and there's actually a lot of folks cycling down in that. That's probably the part of the island I see more people cycling all the time than I do even in, on the North Shore, which is supposedly where, you know, all the you would expect a lot of folks to be on bicycles. Yeah, I was a little surprised by that too. I saw a lot of cyclists while I was out there on the South Shore, a lot of people jogging, a lot of people on their bikes. So uh, kind of an interesting part of this, um, since the announcement about this, a lot of the elected officials, they're opposed to the plan in general, but a big part of their concern was that they weren't consulted on this. The city just kind of decided to do it. And then Otto and some other people have noted that the city sometimes adopts this one-size-fits-all approach where they, they get this idea in their head for a program or a policy. And this Highland Boulevard speed limit thing, they lowered speed limits on 45 miles worth of streets across the five boroughs. And every borough, they, they do these things where they're like, we're going to do one in each borough of busways and we're going to pick one spot here, there, 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 there. And so people are frustrated because Staten Island isn't really like the other boroughs. We're, we're pretty unique in the way that people get around and the, the way that the people are here. So being someone who's covered Staten Island for decades, how frequently have we run into these kinds of issues where the city tries to implement a broad policy or program without exactly considering how it would play out on Staten Island? Well, I mean, it happens all the time. And even with traffic, when we, we've always called for more right turns on red. 11 o'clock at night, some sleepy corner somewhere. What are you doing sitting at the light at, at 2 o'clock in the morning or whatever it is? And that's always been turned down flat. They've always, the way they cite different projects, the way they, and again, it's not a surprise that they're not talking to us. They didn't talk to us about homeless shelters. They didn't, they don't talk to us about any decisions, sort of these rezoning decisions there, basically, whether it be Bay Street or whether it be this idea of uh, upzoning around all the train stations. It's kind of all been, it's all been kind of top down. And we've always been in this position because we're not like the other boroughs. Politically, we're not like the other boroughs. Ethnically, we're not like the other boroughs. How we get around is not like the other boroughs. And if they want to take our cars away, and this is sort of what what the, the whole Vision Zero umbrella means to a lot of people, is basically they want to make it as difficult for you to drive with any type of pleasure or comfort as they can. So there's more bike lanes to push you over, there's more uh, paid parking, there's more speed cameras. It's like the fact that we don't have a subway system here. And listen, the the 80 bazillion dollars that it would take to even dig the hole, I understand is not gonna happen on Staten Island, even though it's, we were promised the subway as the deal for joining the city 100 whatever years ago it was. The fact that we're car reliant on Staten Island isn't our fault. And the fact that there's one train line when we used to have three, when we had half the population, we don't have a lot of cross-island mass transit options. We don't have connecting buses, connecting trains to buses, monorails, other, other you know, transportation modes that other people just kind of take for granted in places where they live. Everybody can't take a bicycle everywhere. If you've got a, and I've had this conversation with my friends as well. It's like, you're shopping for yourself. That's one thing. You're shopping for a family of five. It's different. You're going out to the airport. It's different. If you're a 70-year-old guy or gal from Huguenot, you got to get to St. George. You're not taking a bicycle. So get us the mass transit. And then maybe people won't take it so hard when they say, you know what? I'm going to leave the car home today. I can hop on the monorail and I can be there in 15 or 20 minutes. 
Yeah, it, it really is difficult with the limited options, as you said. So let's get back to Highland Boulevard for a little bit. So obviously people are frustrated with them reducing the speed limit, but the data from the city does show that Highland Boulevard is, is the most dangerous road on Staten Island, which also kind of makes sense being that it's the longest road and, and most heavily trafficked. But, you know, I went through some of the crash data the other day. It, it dates back to, I believe it was mid-2012, July of that year is what's available currently on the city's open data portal. And during that time, Highland Boulevard, there was over 5,800 crashes, which was 11% of all the crashes on Staten Island. There were 1,300 of those crashes had injuries, and 1,800 people were injured in those crashes. That was 13% of all the injury crashes on Staten Island. And then once you get to deaths, it, it gets even more stark. You have 24 deaths, which was 32% of all the traffic deaths that we've seen on Staten Island during that time, and 12 pedestrian deaths, which was 36% of all the pedestrian deaths that we've seen. So if lowering speed limits isn't the answer to safening Highland Boulevard, then what is? What else can the DOT be doing to, to try and make Highland safer for people? Well, well, what I would also say is what were the causes of those accidents? Like, for example, I mean, for example, I looked at total collisions so far this year all over Staten Island and you get the driver inattention, right? The failure to yield, the changing lanes improperly. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. To to be fair, with all of those, uh, the 24 traffic deaths on Highland Boulevard that I mentioned, and I have this in the article, only two of those 24 cite speeding as a contributing factor. Or, or even as the main contributing factor, you, t- you take citywide, for example, this year, 35,000 accidents, 12,000 of them driver inattention, 2,000 2, of them due to unsafe speed. Again, it's part of the equation, but it's, 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 it, it's, it's not the main part of the equation. So when they say, well, you know, this is a really like Northern Boulevard, Queens Boulevard, take your pick of your, your, your highway of death in whatever borough you're in. All these people are getting hurt. There's all these crashes. People are getting killed. You don't want that, do you? No, 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 I don't. All right, so let's put up some speed cameras and lower the speed limits. But if speed is not the main contributor to the accidents, then how can you say that you've addressed, never mind the fact that you're taking money out of people's pockets for something, and then you're claiming that it's you're taking care of them and that you're taking care of speeding. Let's find out the real reasons. And sorry if the pedestrian is at fault here. And again, you know, there haven't been that many Vision Zero prosecutions. They put all these new offenses in under the Vision Zero umbrella aimed at bringing, you know, taking drivers to task for their fault in accidents. There haven't been that many of those, in, in, in including in these accidents where there, are, where there are injuries and where there are fatalities. Yeah. And, and so this actually kind of leads well into my last point. So at the end of the day, People are going to drive how they're going to drive here on Staten Island, and sometimes that means quickly, dangerously, while texting on their phone. So it seems like the only real way to address these you know, street safety issues is for Staten Islanders to change their driving behavior. But is that something that we can really expect at this point, or how do you convince Staten Island drivers to be a little more attentive and to put the phone down and to you know, be a little more cautious when they're on the road? Eric, I don't know how you get people to put their phones down. I mean, I, that's the thing I see. I mean, I see a lot of speeding and tailgating and, and the knucklehead behavior, but I see people behind me looking down at their phones or they don't even have the phone in yeah. their hand. They've got the phone on the seat in between their legs. And it, it, and you know when you're behind somebody to light, right? Because their head is ducked down. Right. I, I, I don't know how you do that without, based with civil liberties and people being free to have the phones. And look, I, I just, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you discourage somebody from, it's taken me a lifetime of driving to not be a competitive driver. 
you know, somebody cuts me off getting onto the highway, so I've got to get ahead of him or her and jump back in front of them. Right. It's this natural instinct that we have, at, you know, to be competitive drivers. And I guess until somebody gets into an accident or hurts somebody else or hurts a family member, unfortunately, sometimes that's what it takes. Or just to say, like, you know what, I don't want to play this game anymore. I'm, just, I'm tired of, like, having to look, being looking all over. You want to cut me off. You want to use the exit-only lane and then cut me off to get back onto the highway or whatever. But I also blame everybody who's got three and four cars in the house. You're contributing to the traffic that's making you crazy, that's making you speed when you have the opportunity to speed. So I, I don't think the speed cameras are doing it. Yeah, and it really is kind of a, a mental f- uh, switch to flip almost for, for people is realizing that I know that myself, you know, being the transportation reporter now and, and covering this kind of stuff, my younger days, I'm, I'm still pretty young. But when I was a, a, an inexperienced driver, when I first got my license, as many people were, I probably wasn't the most cautious. I was probably driving a little faster than I had to be. I was doing what you were doing. Someone cut me off, I cut them off. And it, it kind of just was the way that I approached things. But then doing this job and, and actually writing about all of this stuff and seeing it on the daily basis and the the rise in the traffic deaths and all the things that come along with that the people that get hurt it, it's actually made me realize like it's really not worth it like i'm would so much rather drive the speed limit and let that guy cut me off than try and get back at him and try and speed past him and then because you just never know what could happen and i think that maybe people need to have those kind of experiences in their own life whatever not everybody's going to cover transportation for a living. But like you said, if something happens to a family member tragically or, if, you know, whatever it might be, there, there just needs to be something that kind of flips the switch in their own head and realize that, okay, I, I need to drive safer. The way that I'm driving right now isn't good for me. It's not good for the community. And that's kind of difficult. And I don't think the DOT is going to be the one to do that necessarily. But listen, you don't want to hurt another person with your vehicle. And like, you know, to paraphrase training day, you know, you want to go home or do you want to go to the hospital? Do you want to be hooked up with this person in an insurance battle that's going to go on for the next five years because you lost your patience on the road and like in trying to get back at somebody else, you bumped somebody else and you really hurt somebody or you just banged up their car. So it's but it's hard because it's it's getting harder and harder to drive any time on Staten Island and to have it take less than an hour to get anywhere. The highway you can't take any time in the afternoon. So I, I understand the Richmond Road, Highland Boulevard, Amboy Road, Victory Boulevard. You can't, you can't drive on any of these roads without the stop and go, people cutting each other off. It, it, so it's, I understand the frustration, but I think you, you do, you have to just kind of, you don't want to have a fighting mentality when you go out there on the road. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us, Tom. It is always great to speak with you. You are always super insightful on all things Staten Island and uh, keep up the good work. We appreciate it. And you guys as well. I'm, I'm following your footsteps on a lot of this stuff, Eric and, and, and Joe and everybody else. So, uh, so thanks very much for thinking of me. I really appreciate the time. Absolutely. Did you know the first official Richmond County Fair was held on September 29th, 1866? Thank you all for listening to the Staten Island Advances from the scene. If you like what you've heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit SILive.com for the latest on all these stories and more. Thank you for supporting local journalism.